Hey everybody, it's Jason. This is the first Patreon subscriber-only bonus episode for the Jazz Session, and I want you to be able to hear it whether you're a subscriber or not, which is why you're hearing it right now if you're not yet a subscriber. And the reason for that is because I've never done any of these before, and you probably didn't know what it was going to sound like, and I wasn't all that sure what it was going to sound like, so I thought I'd put the first one in the main feed so that everybody could check it out. But all of the rest of these are going to be for subscribers only. So if you dig this kind of conversation that happens in this episode, then you should subscribe, which is easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash the jazz session, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the jazz session, or go to the jazz session.com and you'll see a big red button that tells you to support the show. Either way, it's five bucks a month. That's it. And you get one of these bonus episodes every single month, plus once a year you get some little tchotchke that I'll come up with, probably a sticker this first year because those are pretty easy to make. So do it, okay? Patreon.com slash the jazz session or go to the jazz session.com and hit the subscribe button. And thanks for listening. Here we are for the first Patreon subscriber bonus episode. Uh, as I told my guest, who I'll be introducing in just a second, uh, this has at the moment no format, so he and I are going to invent it together right now. And I can't think of a better person to do that with than uh, longtime jazz buddy Richard Kamens. He's an educator, a jazz broadcaster. Uh, he writes the the popular and respected Step Tempest blog where he reviews jazz albums and performances. And Richard, it's really great to have you on this. Uh, first bonus episode thanks for being here well it's an honor jason because i've enjoyed you since you were a little boy so, <laughs> thank you so much sounded just as bad as everything else I'm gonna say, but <laughs> the jazz the jazz session has always been like my go-to and uh, it's just it's so intelligent so the fact that you picked me means you have a great sense of humor well so, i was going to say I between that, that and all of the prep work i've done to come up with a format for this episode we're we're off to a a really fabulous start so which cuz i've done none uh, so the, well, the whole you see i i tell my students before you go any forward I, I, you're never going to get anything done here before you go forward I, I tell my students really you may have a syllabus but this is an improvisation from the word go <laughs> that's right so, that's perfect well now you, it's your turn you are on comfortable <laughs> ground then in that case uh, so what I asked you to do and what I'm going to ask all the future guests of these to do is just uh, pick an album that you like and uh, we're going to just talk about it and we'll see where the conversation goes from there. So tell us which okay. album you've chosen. I mean, as a person who uh, listens to jazz uh, quite regularly, writes about tons of albums that are just coming out, uh, it seems like it, this might have been a, a bit of a spot to put you in. So what have you what have you chosen for us today? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even go away from what I, I told you earlier. And uh, I was thinking of The Freedom Suite by Sonny Rollins. Um, I've, I've been a Sonny Rollins fan since, I'm going to say, the late 1960s. I discovered him around the same time that a friend of mine turned me on to John Coltrane. And I had said to you, Coltrane Sings the Blues is probably one of those albums. But then I played... Freedom Suite, and I said, no, 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 this actually, this really taught me how to listen to African-American music. So um, let's start with of, the basics it, before you before you dig in uh, to, yep. to more of that, which I definitely want to get to. Um, when was this mm -hmm. album released? Who's on it? What label's it on? Just kind of put it put it okay. in historical context for the listeners, if in case God, folks are just being introduced to it. 
you're dangerous when you ask me about labels. <laughs> uh, whoever looks at those, but, I don't know. Well, I know it's produ- I know it's produced by Orange Keep News. There you go. So it's on, you know, Prestige. I think it's probably on Prestige. It's got the great Oscar Pettiford on bass and Max Roach on drums and Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone. And it was record. I think it was released in 1958. Now I didn't hear it in 1958. I came to it a little later when I started collecting albums and found it. But um, so it came out during the beginning of uh, the rest of America learning about uh, the um, plight of the African-American, especially in the South. Okay, so now that's a perfect... Oh, and just so we don't get any angry letters, I'll just say that it was on Riverside. But um, Thank you. Uh, no Thank you. no worries. And I only know that because I Googled it while you were talking. So I'm, I'm not... There's no special knowledge being brought to the table here. Although I do really love this album, which I just learned 20 seconds ago is the one that we're going to talk about. Uh, so... <laughs> talk to me yes you totally you totally did it's perfect talk to me about how this helped you understand how to listen to african-american music well i've i've always been i mean since i was tiny uh, i've been interested in the sound of drums and in rhythm sections for some reason because i guess as someone who couldn't dance if you paid me to do it i've always been impressed by people who can dance, people who can move. And and I realized that the rhythm section, especially Max Roach, God bless his soul, and Oscar Pettiford together on that recording, they're making such a smooth, smooth moves, literally, underneath Sonny Rollins. It's just, it, it just changed my whole way of listening to the music I've been listening to. Uh, and... And I still listen that way. I listen from the rhythm section up. And it's just, um, I'm just fascinated how a drummer can make the difference on an album. So when you heard this album, you said you were introduced to this around the same time as John Coltrane. Were there Was there something that attracted you in one direction or the other, either towards the sound or conception of Sonny Rollins versus Coltrane? Or was it love in both directions? How did that happen? Well, the first Coltrane I ever remember truly listening to was a Love Supreme. Talk about starting at the <laughs> start about talking at the top, starting at the top. Yeah, um, and and I uh, of course that rhythm section. God bless. Talk about rhythm sections. That really made me listen. And of course, the whole story—the fact that it was this this really long, long piece of music in four parts—and and what Coltrane had done with him is tremendous sound and I must have been reading something that had compared him to Sonny Rollins and so I knew who Mr. Rollins was that I, I heard uh, St. Thomas and I said but but I found this this recording in one of the great record stores in Connecticut I'm going to do a plug here called Integrity and in Music which God bless him it's still open oh wow and, uh, 40 some years and um and he said, oh, yeah, you should listen to this. Don't listen to that other stuff. Listen to this. And uh, and it was, um, wow. I mean, it just knocked me out because it was so much so much different. The fact that there wasn't a piano on it made made a big difference. There wasn't that the thicker sound. And it just amazed me how three musicians could fill the whole sound spectrum without sounding cluttered. Just amazing. Now, this album, as the title Freedom Suite implies, and the the track titles uh, and the 
the cover, everything about it. I mean, it really has it, it doesn't pull any punches mm-hmm. uh, in terms mm-hmm. of its political content. And this was still when I mean, this was fairly early in overt use of jazz records to talk about politics. There had been a lot of kind of covert conversations about the world around uh, those musicians all throughout the 20s and 30s and 40s. But at least to my way of thinking, this is one of the first times that people really said, we're making a record and this is about what is happening around us right now and what is happening around us right now needs to change. And I wonder how much of that did you... Did you take in at that moment? Where were you kind of in your, your own political evolution right, or your so, understanding? Right. So coming as I did to it after the fact, after the horrific, uh, the horrific summer of 1968, you know, that year where, where Martin Luther King had been assassinated, Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated and the Democratic National Convention, which was this was war in our own country. It was it was just horrific to watch and then here i am discovering this this african-american this black music that had been talking about freedom 10 years before and and it just all of a sudden i'm thinking music has this power that that even though you know the music might sound uh, there's no words on it he's not shaking not shaking his fist and, and saying honky go home or or f the police or anything like that he's He's uh, and Mr. Rollins in this case is is really he's saying this is all this is freedom. I'm defining freedom for you, and it's freedom is not just freedom from shackles. It's freedom from labels. It's freedom from all this stuff. And you know, I was I was in college at this time. I'm reading philosophy and I'm reading all kinds of philosophy, from pop philosophy to to um, Eldridge Cleaver and and uh, and other things. And it just I have to say it did shock me in some ways. It shocked me because number one, the music itself is not extremely shocking, <laughs> but it's so powerful and it gets power, more powerful to me as I get older and see what's going on and what's been going on all these years. Well, you know, you can't see me shuddering, but I just want to go, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I'm interested in the fact that it is, gr- it is growing in power. Is that, um, you say as you get older and you're kind of seeing what's been going on. So by that, do you mean that you are becoming more and more aware of the context and the continuing context in which this music exists? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I'm listening to, you know, of course I've listened to a trillion albums since then. And my wife would agree with that, but I've, I've listened to so much different music since then. And so my idea of freedom has changed. I mean, you're a musician and you'll understand this, that, you know, music is also mathematics. You have a rhythm most of the time and, or at least some sort of, of time signature and a sense of a beginning, middle and an end. And freedom shouldn't have that. Freedom isn't that at all. Yet we talk about free music all the time. And so what does it mean in that case? What does freedom mean? And so I listen to, I listen to the more politically inclined music of someone that, um, that Dave Douglas comes to mind. Some of the some of the music he made and, and the messages he he was trying to get across. And, and I see that that African American um, black jazz musicians, white jazz musicians, have been doing this for decades. I mean, Louis Armstrong. You know, why do I have to be so black and so blue? Uh, could be taken as a protest song, even. 
uh, if you go back that far, now we're talking even before I was born, you know, <laughs> the 1920s and 30s. And so why does it become more powerful is because I don't think, I don't think we still understand what freedom means. And, um, and I guess I am getting to be in that old fogey age. And, and I look at my students who most of whom I teach freshmen in college most of the time. So they're, they're now 50, 52 years younger than I am. And they don't understand. They don't even have a glimmer, I believe, of what it means to live in a quote unquote free society and that there are shackles at times on freedom. And that bothers me. <laughs> and I'm laughing, but it, it bothers me. And, and here I am. I'm sitting on my back porch, and I'm I'm, I'm in love where I'm sitting because it's so beautiful. But I'm thinking about the millions and millions of people, not just in this country, but around the world for whom freedom is just an image. They don't know what it is. You mentioned that this album doesn't, first of all, doesn't contain lyrics. And secondly, that the music itself um, is not particularly shocking. Can you can you say more about that? Can you say more? Maybe, and I I don't really want you to try to speak on behalf of Sonny Rollins, but um, kind <laughs> never. of, <laughs> I could never do that. But kind uh, of to to imagine maybe what uh, what the intended aim of a record like this is. So we're gonna you know we make a record with a a pretty explicit title some explicit imagery, but there's no words. And if we had changed the title and changed all the out, the track titles, probably mm-hmm. you could have called it anything. Um, That's right. I, so I just wonder about that, where kind of where you, what you think the idea may have been or how that affected you. Uh, well, how the, I, I think that, I think, excuse me for interrupting Jason. That's one of my terrible traits. Uh, I think that you, you, you touched on something there. Uh, the title is so important. I mean, you're right. He could have called it anything else, you know. Me and two other guys playing jazz, he could have called it, and it still would have some sort of joy involved in it, just the joy of creativity. And I think that's where the idea, another one of the ideas of freedom that Mr. Rollins was getting at, the idea that we can walk in the studio, that I have all these thematic ideas that I want to work out and I don't want to do them, in you know the usual two to four minutes that that pop music has or even six or seven minutes like a good extended jazz piece might have i'm going to take as much time as i can and grow through a number of changes and to me that's the freedom that my music can give me and my my musical partners and and i really um, again as you're right i can't put words into his mouth and i can't speak for him I think he was expressing his his joy at being free to make this music, that he lived in an era that while all around him, people that had the same color that he has, of his same color, black people, were suffering, that he still had enough freedom that he and two other African-American men could make music like this, which is uplifting in my mind, see, the more I listen over the years, I can hear some gospel echoes, and I certainly hear the blues in that music. And um, and that's why, that's why, to me, it's gained more stature in time. Another thing about this record that is kind of intriguing to me, and here again, it's, it's quite possible that I'm just, I'm putting a story to this album that it, that it does not possess, but 
besides the actual piece called Freedom Suite, which is like 20 minutes long or something, there's four or five other right. tunes, and they're all there's like a Noel Coward song on there, and I think there's Till There Was right. You, and you know some other, some other stuff like that. So there's this. It's not just an album of uh, all incendiary song titles, and I mean there's like a bunch of standards <laughs> on there, you know, like show tunes and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. in a way, to me, that is almost more subversive than anything like just to say like all of this music is about this freedom we're not it's not just when we are talking explicitly about these issues it's it's whatever Mm -hmm. we're doing whenever we're doing it that's what this is about well oh good i should be interviewing you um (laughs) well but i I think the other the other way to look at this as well is that this was first issued as an album so on one side you had the freedom suite and you turn it over you know, the good old days when you had to get up and turn things over if you wanted to listen <laughs> to the whole thing. And that gave you time to think and then time to do other stuff. And I think that was obviously it's done on purpose. He had no choice because of time limitations. But that allowed that allowed the record company to put this music out. And and maybe a lot of people wouldn't like sitting for 19 minutes. But look, we've got these lovely four pieces on the other side that that the trio is going to run through and, and you know, and you're right. They have the freedom to do that as well. And in some ways it's fascinating to listen to, to, to Mr. Rollins and, and the, and the rhythm section, you know, play a song from the music man, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's stunning, but subversive, we could argue that. James. <laughs> you know? Well, and someone once said to me that I can't remember who it is or I would, I would attribute this, uh, but somebody once said to me that uh, we were talking about free jazz, and they said that it, real freedom means you also have to have the freedom to play standards, to play inside. Like it doesn't just mean Absolutely. to you know, it's not just honking and squealing. It you have to be, be truly free to play whatever you want without label right. either, either labels or worried about uh, how people are going to perceive it. And and I kind of feel that this. This is an example of that, too, where, yes, we can do right. side A, but we can also do side B. Right, exactly. And this, and I loved it. He, he, he loved playing standards. I always did. He, he uh, still, to literally, when he put his saxophone down, was playing standards. It's like, it's like Lee Connett. You know, he, he, I remember reading something that where he said, I've been playing, and I'm never going to remember the tune. It may be body and soul for all I know. And I've been playing it for 70 years, and I'm still working on it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know that's first of all a wonderful attitude to take, and and two, you're right. The problem is we've been conditioned that look, it's on a record. This is this is the version, and um, this is the one we we go to see Sonny live, and he plays the Freedom Suite, and it doesn't sound like it, and you don't like it, you know, because it's not the same. And and I think, you know, it's since. Even before my generation, you know, uh, not that <laughs> now I'm not going to knock records. I've been reviewing them and collecting them for years, but they tend to put things in sort of cement. <laughs> you know what I mean? They set them. Yeah. And it's hard to move away from them. And Sonny Rollins is putting out something called the Freedom Suite. So we're free to interpret it any way we want, and he's free to play it any way he wants. I always used to think that that when a musician goes on the road, especially musicians who, who are as gifted as, as Mr. Rollins and some others today, that you record everything they do and just release everything they do so you can, you can hear how it changes 
all the time. And there have been a number of examples of that where you get, you know, seven nights of, of Keith Jarrett or Chick Corea, you know, playing with his standards trail. And, um, but I could, I can't imagine him playing this too the same way each time. Well, you it, know, because he's, he's free to do that. He yeah. He could, but that, that would go against probably everything he's good for. Yeah. And you can <laughs> imagine that they probably, I mean, there, there may very well have been more than one take, even in the studio that, Sure. Was completely, you know, completely different. I mean, you hear you hear outtakes of some of the solo, you know, the the albums that we're most familiar with in the jazz canon, and then years later, you know, Columbia releases. Well, here's the other seventy four hours it took to make this one record, and you hear, <laughs> oh my god, we easily could have been singing this solo instead of this solo for all these years. You know, they're not. It's not a That's qualitative right. difference. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a glitch in the recording or, or anything. You know, and there, it makes it gives me the sweats to think of how much music is in vaults. <laughs> in various places in New York and LA that we're just never going to hear sure. that is of equal quality to all the stuff that we, that we know. And, and, that, and that makes, you know, you've got all these people who, who have spent years, you know, hanging on every one of Charlie Parker's outtakes. Yeah. And it's just amazing. I mean, not Mr. Parker's brilliant. So I'm not surprised that they do that, but it's, it's for that same reason, you know, there's, it's just, I want to hear everything they've ever done. And and sometimes you should just leave the magic alone <laughs> because you, because you, you just can't hear everything. And I, I've always been that kind of guy who's waiting, you know, I, I finish a review of something and I say to myself, this was so good. I wonder what the next one's going to sound like. <laughs> and this one's barely released. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I always, this when I'm so asking good. artists about their new albums, and then I ask them, well, what are you thinking of for the next record? And I, I can just hear them say silently to themselves, well, it's been like a day since this record came out. But the thing yeah, is, they exactly. always have an answer because they yeah. always are thinking about what's, coming next i mean the like, that's kind of the beautiful thing about the music i mean it, it almost forces forward movement even if it doesn't force radical change in your sound or your style i do feel like it it's constantly encouraging you to you know to level up so to speak i mean just to to continue yeah. the path of mastery yeah I, I agree with that i think that's you know i think uh, you ask a lot of artists and you just say so i really loved your recording and i'd be you know what do you think you know and um they'll say yeah i haven't listened to it since i since we you know put it together yeah <laughs> i haven't I, I remember i just saw i saw noah preminger about six months ago with uh his regular touring band that included dan weiss at the time and i said man this this crisscross thing you released is just great. He said, I'm so tired of listening to it <laughs> because I mean, I listened to it just to make sure we put it in the right order. And we listened to it again, doing the mixing and stuff like that, that he just needed time away from it. Yeah. But that's, that's the artist's life. Yeah. You know, we're I just, think that's we're true. listeners. We are these, you know, we're these sponges that can't wait to hear it. And and uh, give us more. And they're saying, okay, I'm working on something. Leave me alone. Uh. There's also, I think, probably. Uh, I mean, I certainly know this in the case of I've never released an album, but I've published a book. And uh, although that book was very precious to me when it first came out, now I feel like it's a poor representation of who I am as a poet. And I kind of think that the 
you know, you always hear artists talk about albums as snapshots. Uh, there is something right. limiting about a snapshot, uh, you know, that the mm-hmm. it implies that your that your life didn't continue after the photo was taken or the album was made or the piece was written. And and that's just right. not true. Um, and, you know, you see you hear so many artists, I, even like Lenny Bruce, who's one of my heroes, he used to in mm-hmm. his acts later in his life he would say that people always complain, why don't you do the bits from the record? And he would say, well, buy the record. You know, I did the bits on the record. You can have those, but now I'm doing this. And so I do think that there, I can kind of get that idea. Like, don't feel, don't box me in. I want to keep going. Right. And to, to step back, you look at your own writing and you say to yourself, man, that's, you know, that's a poor representation. I don't think it's a poor representation of who you were then. It's probably a good representation. You've changed that much since then. And so you want to do more. You want to show people more of who you are. And I think it works that way for musicians as well, obviously. Yeah. I want to keep, I want to keep creating. And, and, and here's what I'm thinking about. And this is what I've discovered. And here's where I've been and, and the interactions I've had. I think, you know, life gets in there and it changes who you are and it then modifies your art. I mean, and if it doesn't, that's scary. At least scary to me. Well, I think that's a that's a beautiful place to uh, to draw it to a close. Richard, tell people where they can find you, uh, both uh, writing and where they can listen to you. Well, I uh, I write um, a wonderful little. Uh, I call it wonderful because I'm the writer. Uh, <laughs> it is at it is steptempest uh, dot blogspot dot com. And that's that. That's the Herbie Nichols tune. So it's yep. S-T-E-P-T-E-M-P-E-S-T dot blogspot dot com. I do two shows on the radio, and you're so nice to call me a jazz disc jockey. Uh, that's a long story, and uh, you probably don't want me to say it over the air. But mostly, I I took over a, a Polish music show <laughs> that the gentleman had been on the air for 65 years. And wow. So continuing that tradition. And for the last 22 years, I've done a Jewish music show. Oh, cool. Uh, it's called it's called Neshama. It's on an AM, two AM stations, actually, WMRD AM in Middletown, Connecticut, and WLIS AM in Old Saber. And you can find them online, uh, net. And it's Sunday morning. Uh, 10 for the Polish show, 11 for the um, Jewish music show. And my definition of Jewish music is really very wide. Um, a lot of a not Cohen on my show. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm so pleased she's got brothers. Yes, um, that's right. And uh, every once in a while, every once in a while, I take the 12 o'clock hour. And that's a long, humorous story that I won't bore you with. Uh, I just steal the 12 o'clock hour to run interviews with musicians whose music just knocks me for a loop and are willing to let me gush all over them for a while. It's a great life. My guest is Richard Kamens. Uh, he and I have never actually met in person, though we've known each other for years. That's and I, true. I can't believe that we've ever never actually been in the same room at the same time. But uh, I really I love what you do and uh, who you are, and I thank you for being the guinea pig in this whole uh, Patreon bonus episode thing. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that uh, you should get another one soon so that uh, you have something to compare it to. But I thank you, Jason. This has really been a pleasure for me because talking to you is such a treat. Well, thank you. I mean, you're so bright and you you really 
I really enjoy how you interview people, and I, I'm jealous in some ways. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is if you do it right, if you've been interviewing for a long time and you find someone whose style you like, you start saying, okay, don't start at the beginning. Start where you want to start, and then you can go in and out and back and forth. And yeah. be a little more free for it. And that's what you've brought to me. I've, I have discovered so many musicians by listening to the jazz session so this is that's my uh i'm not i'm not trying to raise money ladies and gentlemen i'm just <laughs> saying if you haven't if you've not subscribe big bucks man do it well thank there you, you i appreciate that very right. much richard came it's a pleasure to talk to you thanks for being here thank you jason you'd be well